Yes is more than a word. It's a state of being, of relating, and a gateway to curiosity, growth, and resilience, according to internationally recognized educator, neuropsychiatrist, and best-selling author, Dr. Dan Siegel. He and co-author Tina Bryson have written a new book that offers parents everywhere a roadmap for developing and growing their child's inner spark and internal compass to guide them throughout their lives. It's called Yes Brain, How to Cultivate Courage, Curiosity, and Resilience in Your Child. Hi, Dan. Hey, Lou. Dan, this is such an important message and book. I mean, all parents want to raise kids who feel this inner sense of stability and authenticity, who can cope with life's disappointments and losses, who know themselves, and who care deeply about others and themselves. I think most people would say that's a no-brainer, but you and Tina say it's a yes-brainer. It's a yes-brainer, <laughs> exactly. The, the idea is that when parents or anyone caring for a child, a, a coach, a grandparent, uh, a teacher, anyone who's supporting the growth of children, when they understand that the brain can get into a yes-brain state and approach life with all these positive features versus a no-brain state, which is created when we feel threatened and we shut down, you actually are empowered as an adult to help raise children where these states of a yes brain that are repeatedly created become a trait of positivity in life. So yes brain is open, it's flexible, it can pause before reacting, all that good stuff, looks at the glass half full or maybe filled and overflowing and no brain is? No brain is where you're either getting ready to fight or you might get ready to flee. And even you don't know whether to fight or flee, so you freeze up your muscles and just hold on till you figure out whether to run or fight. And those are the activating threat states of a no-brain. There's also a deactivating no-brain threat state, which is where you collapse in a faint. So whether you're fainting or moving toward the freeze or flee or fight, all of those are called reactive states that are activated, for example, if I said no really harshly several times, you'd feel that kind of reactivity rising up in you. Depending on your temperament and your history, you might tend to go to fight, you might tend to faint. We're all different from each other, but in any of those Fs of a no-brain state, you shut down learning and you shut down connection to other people. And so it's really, when it's repeated in a child, a way in which a child's development becomes curtailed because they're not open to new learning and connecting with others. You know, Dan, I've been at conferences where I've heard you speak and do that yes, no exercise you just referred to. And it is incredible how the collective reaction of the no that you repeat, where people said they felt frightened or small or closed or rigid, defended and collectively people said that yes was I felt open, free, safe, trusting. So if we think of these as states that our child could get into in relationship with us, I think parents might translate that to, you know, I feel connected or my child is easy to approach or we get along or with the no brain. I think a lot of parents kind of head into that, oh, he's so stubborn or judgmental. 
But this affects parents, too. Parents have a yes brain and a no brain as well. Well, exactly, Lou. And, you know, it's so beautiful to hear you remember uh, workshops you've been to where I do the no uh, experience and the yes experience. And when parents have the opportunity, which is basically where the idea of the book came from, to distinguish these two in themselves, they learn from direct experience that a no-brain state can be activated when we're frustrated, when we're feeling we're at the end of our rope, when our kid pushes our button, or when something at work isn't going right, a neighbor is doing this or that. There's so many things that can get us into the no-brain state. And when you as a parent are yourself in that state, you can't do good parenting from a reactive no-brain state. When you're fighting with your kid and wanting to run away or you're freezing up or even collapsing in a faint, all of these reactive states shut down good, open, receptive parenting. So instead, you want to learn to move yourself from the no-brain state you might be in to a yes-brain state of receptivity where it's all those things you just described, openness, Mm. a sense of connection, a sense of curiosity, There's a positive approach to life that comes literally when you look at the neural circuitry of the yes brain. It's a way you realize a challenge is an opportunity to learn more, not to collapse in fear. That a difficulty you're having with a friend or family member is an opportunity to get closer rather than just fight back and hold a grudge. All these yes brain approaches to life are in many ways, the foundations for what Carol Dweck calls a growth mindset, or Angela Duckworth would say is the component of grit, of having this resilience to be in a positive mindset where you look at difficulties and say, how can I learn from this? And that's what we want our kids to have as they go out into the world that's so volatile and uncertain. We want them to develop these yes brain skills of resilience so they can actually be prepared for a world we can't predict on how it's going to be. Mm -hmm. So the book walks parents through four yes brain fundamentals as you and Tina call them. So just a quick summary of each. The acronym is BREE. The B is balance. The the R is resilience. Insight is the I and empathy. So just do a quick summary of each because altogether, you know, you make a, a, a really compelling science-based case that Brie is a growth-oriented process yeah. that reinforces itself, that the more we cultivate this process, it cultivates good things in us. It leads to an integrated brain, and that integration creates more integration. Well, you got it, Lou. I mean, you, it's so great to hear you say these things because it's exactly right. I would say just yes to what you just said, but you want a little bit of the details. So, I mean, the fun thing about the yes brain approach, just to start with the general thing, is exactly what you just said. When you teach these skills to your kid, you're giving them a gift that keeps on giving. Here's how it goes. The first letter is B. So B stands for balance. And the balance term really means when you're embracing the wide array of feeling states you can have, the emotions that arise, the sense of meaning of things, sometimes positive, sometimes negative, not pushing things away, but actually holding them in awareness with balance. So it's a kind of receptive state to your own variety of emotional experiences you can have. So you're open to the whole rainbow of emotions rather than saying, I'm going to just have one. 
or the other. So that's a way of thinking about integration that allows the brain to grow in such a fashion that instead of being frightened of, let's say, intense emotions, you learn to surf the wave of emotions. When you can sail the ship of your mind through your body's experience of emotion, your relationship's experience of emotion, all these things that arise, they allow you to really come to life with a lot of strength. And that's what balance means. And you give a lot of really great strategies in each one. Let's just touch on one. So one of the strategies you give is this red zone, green zone, blue zone, where you teach kids and parents how to recognize when they're becoming hyper aroused or hypo aroused, just basically learning to check in basically and see when they're becoming reactive. Yeah, exactly. So a green zone is this band of um, experience, the width of intense emotions that are either low or high, that you can stay floating beautifully down this river. Sometimes those emotions get so upsetting, you get chaotic, and that's the red zone. Or sometimes they get so shut down that you're unable to be flexible, and that's the um, blue zone. The green zone is right in the middle. It's this window of tolerance um, in science. That's what we talk about about it. So when you translate for that for a parent, you can teach a child or an adolescent to be aware of which zone are they in and to widen their green zone, let's say for an emotion of frustration or fear or sadness or even anger, so that yes, you can experience these same emotions, but now you remain balanced. This is where the balance comes in, which is basically a synonym for integrated. You remain integrated while you're experiencing an emotion, whereas before, it really threw you. You don't have the skills yet to deal with anger or fear, let's say. And so we give lots of techniques for how to teach a child to stay present with their emotion and widen that green zone. And so mindful of our child's window of tolerance then, we, we can expand it together, but then expanding the green zone itself is so interesting. You talk about cultivating resilience and how, how we can expand this, this really wonderful green zone when we're in that space. How do we widen it, deepen it, so that the more we become mindfully present with our child, the more we promote our own yes brain. It's almost like we're co-creating that resilience, isn't it? Exactly. Well, it is. And so resilience can be thought of as when I leave the green zone and I'm in red or, or blue, how do I get back to balance? How do I go from being out of balance to getting in balance? That's a simple way of really thinking about what resilience is. And the way to think about that in terms of what you can do as a parent is this. When your child is in the red or blue zones, basically out of this green area of balance, in that moment, they're in a reactive no-brain state. So you have worked with them to feel what that feels like, and then essentially to name it, to tame it, is the term that you can use where literally by identifying a state you're in, I'm really, really angry and I'm, I'm in the red zone, or you know I'm really, really frightened and I'm in the blue zone. When you name it, 
research shows, you're actually allowing the brain to go from huge amounts of firing or being shut down, you know, the red or the green, and the red or the blue, and now you're helping them with the naming it and identifying it and being aware of it, move it toward the green zone. Now you may say, that's kind of like magic. How does that happen? The way to think about that is when you as a parent are tuning into the state of your child, that child who is alone in their dysregulation, that is they were in the red, fire it up, or the blue, shut down, in connecting with you, that what's called a dyad or that pair, that interaction of two people, allows the child to use you as a resource in this moment to learn, oh, I can go from the red back to the green. You may give them some space, you may teach them techniques that we teach in the book, like putting a hand on your chest or a hand on your belly or sensing a few breaths or stretching or walking around or having a drink of water. There's lots of things you can do with the body to help the mind become more regulated. Then once you do, you've basically taught your child, number one, be aware of your state. So when you're in a no brain state, just know that's where it is. You don't have to get mad at yourself, just know that's where it is. Number two, when you're out of balance, when you're in this no brain state, you can come back to a yes brain state, the green zone. And here are the techniques your parent has taught you and then they internalize those, they learn them as skills. So next time they're on a schoolyard or in the classroom or at a friend's house and something doesn't go their way and they're frustrated and they wish they could get, oh, I wanna get this thing like that. And they go, oh my God, I think I'm in the red zone. They take a break, get a drink of water, put a hand on the chest, hand on the belly, sense the breath, and they do what they've learned to do as a skill to go from the no brain state to a yes brain state. They've gone from reactivity to receptivity and you've taught them the skill of resilience. And in the process of teaching them the skill of resilience, we're also developing insight, the I in Brie, insight into themselves and into ourselves. Yeah. One of the goals and benefits of living, loving, and raising our kids more mindfully is developing the ability to look within, to observe ourselves and understand who we are in relationship and in the world. Yeah, exactly, Lou. I mean, you know, for me, um, both as a dad uh, and just as a human being on the planet, learning to be kind of aware, and it brings up the insight notion, uh, aware of your own internal state allows you to see that, you know, we're not alone in this world. We're very relational beings. And so the insight into your own internal state, like, am I in balance, the B, or am I off balance and need to get back, the need for resilience? Your insight comes in here because you can say, well, what I need to do now is to connect with another person or even myself. And I, I begin to feel this sense that life is okay that if things are not so good right now, something can happen either with you or with another person or even the skills I've learned myself. And I've learned from experience that even if I'm in a distressed, imbalanced state, I have the experience that I can get back to balance. You use um, these deep connecting experiences to teach the skills of insight and also to teach how you can use these ways of changing your state to become more resilient. And these are all the building blocks of empathy, the E in Brie. 
In your teachings, Dan, you've often shared another acronym, SNAG, which stands for Stimulate Neuronal Activation and Growth. Since what we practice grows, can you share a little about how a parent can snag a child's brain to cultivate empathy? Absolutely. Well, thanks for reminding me of my acronym addiction. <laughs> I love acronyms, <laughs> We've gone too. from cheesy brie <laughs> to active snagging. I have a deep acronym appreciation, yeah. So snag, yeah. So the idea there is where attention goes, neural firing flows, and neural connection grows. So what that means is that where you help a child focus attention, like on their internal state, or for empathy, on the state of another person, like a friend or a family member or yourself, right? Here's what I'm feeling right now. So you're stimulating neuronal activation. You don't have to be a neurosurgeon to help create an integrated, structurally strong brain in your child. You have to have a relationship that inspires them to rewire their brain toward integration. So you stimulate neuronal activation. That's where attention goes. So you're helping focus attention, neural firing flows. And here's the secret to the next part of that little ditty, where attention goes, neural firing flows, neural connection grows, and that's the G of snag. And what that means is that, and it's absolutely fabulous, you know, about neuroplasticity, is that energy and information flow is what's directed by attention. So a relationship, which is the sharing of that flow, can actually get a child to have attention go in certain ways that then gets energy and information to flow in the brain in a particular way so it stimulates neuronal activation and those circuits that are activated turn on genes create proteins and actually strengthen their physical anatomical connections to each other it's a fun acronym because it reminds you as a parent or just a person on the planet you know that you have the empowerment to figure out how do you want to snag your brain if you're a parent the question is how do you want to help snag the child's brain and the answer is toward well-being then you go well how do i do that and that's toward integration well how do i do that and that's what the yes brain is all about it's how do you create an integrated yes brain state so that repeated states that are created when your child is growing up with you become traits of positivity in the child's life a state becomes a trait because of snagging the brain. I once heard you say, integration is kindness made visible. And I thought, yeah. that's such a beautiful concept that is equal parts hopeful and hard science. Totally. Yeah, I mean, uh, exactly. I'll just say yes to that. <laughs> All right. <laughs> Two more questions. One that I know mm, parents think? everywhere are going to be curious about setting limits. So yes, mm -hmm. brain, of course, is not about permissiveness. It's not about saying yes all the time. Is it that when we promote our own yes brain, we can set limits and say no and respond with flexibility and be confident in our choices, all with an open-hearted stance? In other words, we can say no with a yes spirit. We can say no with kind of a yes energy. 
Yeah, I mean, first of all, thank you for pointing out um, one of the biggest uh, issues with a book called The Yes Brain is that people think, oh, permissive parenting. And that's not at all what we're saying, just as you're pointing out, Lou, so importantly. So I'm so happy you're, you're bringing this issue um, straight on. When a child has the experience of structure, um, and they get actually freedom from structure. And Tina and I, Tina Bryson, my co-author and I, you know, we totally embrace the importance for structure, for thinking of the word discipline as teaching, and that when a child learns from your teaching that structure is the way to gain freedom, and they learn the experience of that, then uh, the yes brain approach to parenting is something like this. It's saying, if a child's asking, let's do a simple example, for ice cream before dinner, and you say, no way, that's the stupidest thing I have ever heard all day. Oh my God, that is dumb. <laughs> okay, so now that would be one response, okay? Here would be another one. Uh, can I have ice cream before dinner? Are you out of your mind? How many times are you going to ask me something as ridiculous as that, right? Versus this. Can I have ice cream before dinner? You know, I'm hungry too, and ice cream before dinner sounds like such a cool idea. We need to eat our dinner first, and then, you know something? I am so in the mood for vanilla, but why don't we figure out which flavor we'll get later, but let's have dinner, and then we can plan on when we'll get the ice cream together. So you've mm -hmm. heard the request, you, I call it PART, here's an acronym, you're present for the request, P, you attune to the feeling behind the request, I'm a kid, I love ice cream, why don't we have it first? You resonate with it, you go, hey, I'd like that too, I'm with you. You develop the T, trust, and then you say, no, we're not having ice cream, but I love the feeling behind <laughs> the request, and it is totally understandable you'd ask for it so let's figure out a way where we can share the experience of our love for ice cream after we eat the nutritious food so so that's an example where you know you're creating structure and you're teaching a child that they can express their desire and how they like something to go you're creating structure and saying no it's not going to go that way but the desire behind your request i see and the feeling is a feeling I can even relate to. So that's the yes brain approach while being given structure and putting limits that we don't eat ice cream before dinner. Got it. Last question. Yes brain helps us navigate this very complex journey of parenthood for purposes far beyond our societal notions of what it means to raise, quote, successful kids, whatever that means. You and Tina propose that through cultivating a yes brain in our kids and in ourselves, we can become, the word you used was the guardians, which I love, of their authentic selves, of their inner spark, yeah. and their capacity to create the meaningful lives that you were talking about earlier, that are not defined by test scores, achievement, or performance, which is such a huge issue right now. Yeah, wow. I mean, Lou, you're just picking out all these crucial things for our society and for our schools and 
for ourselves, you know. Um, yeah. So let's begin with a, a couple of things that you're saying. You know, first of all, the idea that we can address the question that is on every parent's mind, you know, what do I want for my child? And to then take what is a common response, well, I want my child to be happy, or I want my child to be successful. Totally makes sense. So let's, let's take apart the happiness first, and then we'll do the success. You know, there's two kinds of happiness that the Greeks talked about that I think is very relevant today. And one is hedonia, which is kind of like a revved up, oh my God, this is gonna be so exciting, so exciting. I'm gonna buy lots of things. I'm gonna get all this stuff. I'm gonna have a big car, big house. I'm gonna, you know, and this is kind of like um, sort of drive to accumulate objects that one view of happiness would tell you would make you happy. So let's just call that hedonia. That kind of hedonia is in big contrast to another kind of happiness the Greeks talked about, which is eudaimonia, spelled in different ways, but basically EU for good, and demonia, D-E-M-O-N-I-A. And demonia is like your essence, your spirit. And eudaimonia basically says that you can live a, a life with at least three qualities, meaning, connection, and equanimity. So meaning suggests that your life has purpose to it, that things you do have value. Connection means you are a part of something much larger than just your skin-defined body. Equanimity is basically resilience. It's a feeling of clarity and calm and the ability to return to baseline when you leave that green zone. So what we say in the book is, you know, the yes brain state is how you create meaning, connection, and equanimity, and we're gonna teach you how to do it. What are the circuits that can be activated in a state to then get repeatedly activated so it becomes a trait? So you have the traits of eudaimonia, of meaning, connection, equanimity, and that's basically what the yes brain is all about. And then when you, when you take that path and say, that's the kind of happiness I want for my child, meaning, connection, equanimity, then you say, well, if they were to achieve that, that kind of happiness, how would we evaluate that it was successful? How do we know it was achieved? And so here's where you get to the overlap of eudaimonia with reassessing what we mean by the term success. And, you know, I, I've been teaching at a number of high schools lately where sadly, you probably know this, the anxiety rates are way up, mm -hmm. the depression rates are way up, and the suicide rates are way up. Mm -hmm. And if you go to our website, uh, you know, drdansiegel.com, you'll find, I went to one school, Pali High School, Palo Alto High School and Gunn High School, actually two schools, but one meeting, and the students videotaped the intervention they asked me to do, and you'll see me talking to the students and the teachers and the parents and the administrators, after there'd been a number of suicides. So it's a pretty serious moment, of course. But the issue is that if we go along with how contemporary society gives us a message about what success is, you know, material acquisition, or, you know, getting into the most difficult to get into high school, or getting to the most difficult to get into, you know, elite college or something like that. And this, this presentation you'll watch me do is right across from Stanford University, you know, which has one of the 
lowest acceptance rates. Mm -hmm. So you can understand that a parent wanting only the best for their child would feel nervous in the VUCA world we live in, you know, the volatile V, uncertain U, you know, complex C and ambiguous A world we live in, which we do. And as we get ready to launch our kids out into the world of this VUCA qualities to it, it's scary. So I think parents more than ever who want to have some kind of guarantee that they're beautiful, beautiful young baby, now a toddler, now a preschooler, now an elementary school kid, now a middle school kid, now a high school kid who's about to launch out to the world of college or, or beyond, is going to have some kind of guarantee of something. You can understand the, the love behind that. So you look around, you go, well, what's going to guarantee anything? And all you can find as a parent sometimes is a number, like a GPA, grade mm-hmm. point average, a standardized test score, um, the low number associated with the admissions of that college. And, you know, so what I said to them is I said, you know, sadly, with, let's say, 1% of people apply to a college like Stanford, let's say, you're going to have 99% of kids at this school feeling like they failed if that's where their measure of success is. So it's a built-in setup for kids to feel like failures. And ultimately, when they don't have the kind of mindset of a yes brain, they just feel collapsed in that you know, blue zone. Or they get all revved up and want to fight in the red zone. And they haven't learned the skill of you know, a growth mindset, you know, um, of realizing these challenges and even disappointments are just the opportunities to try again and try in a different way. Or the grit you know, that Angela Duckworth talks about and this idea that you can really find a passion, find a purpose, and persist in the face of difficulties. And it's not about a numerically measurable endpoint which lacks meaning connection and doesn't foster equanimity and yet and I said to the parents I said it's coming from a positive place but it's actually reinforcing a toxic lie in our contemporary culture which is the self is separate and what I said to the group which I really deeply feel we need to embrace is we raise children to consider themselves like a candle and all they are is the wax. And we give them a message like, be the brightest candle in the box. Mm -hmm. And then this wax identity looks to the right and there's a candle lit up so they try to blow out that wick. Mm -hmm. And they look to their left and there's a candle lit up, they blow out that wick. So they're the only candle lit up. So of course Stanford or any other elite thing like that looks and says oh you're the bright one I'll pick you and that's how we're raising our kids but instead imagine a world where we got I think a truer message that yes you have a body which is the equivalent of the wax so sleep your body well enjoy your body exercise your body feed your body well take care of your wax body great but who you are your mind yourself is not just the wax. You are the light beyond the wax alone. So I said to them, I said, so if you raise someone to be like that, 
and they look to their right and there's a wick that's not lit and they lean over and light up that candle. And then they look to their left and there's another candle not lit up and they lean over and light up that candle. I said, what does it do to your wick that you helped light up other people's flames? And they say in the audience, it took nothing away. Mm. And then someone stated it from the audience, but it made the world a brighter place. And that is the kind of world we need to create. That's where meaning and connection comes from. Mm -hmm. When your job is just to light up the world, you know, with love and connection and meaning and help people find it, where it's not this game of only the brightest candle gets there. In fact, we know from studies of problem solving that it's collective intelligence that beats out individual stuff every time. And we need to have the way we can approach competition be that you want to harness the power of competition, fine. Let adolescence and beyond say, what's the world's problem that needs to be beaten? And let's use all the collaborative creativity available so that when that competition is won, everybody benefits. Mm -hmm. And so that's a yes brain approach to life. Absolutely. You know, that's what you do. This, you, know, you are the flame as well as the wax, right? right? You are a me, the wax, and a we, you know, the flame. And so that's why I always say, you know, who we really are is a we, M-W-E. You're a, you're a me differentiated from a we, that's fine. But who you really are is both. You're a we. And together, we can make with that integrated way of living, that integrated identity, this world a kinder and more compassionate place. That's what we can do together. We can do that. I love it. And as parents, we are stewards of the spark. Totally. We are stewards of the spark. Completely. Thank you, Dan. Thank you, Lou. Dan Siegel is a clinical professor of psychiatry at the UCLA School of Medicine and executive director of the Mindsight Institute. For more on Dan's work, visit drdansiegel.com.